I think Asher means joyful or happy, so what's the problem here? Um, so, who's that strange man touching me? Okay, Acts chapter 15. I'm going to read 1 through 12, and kind of then we'll, I'll let us know my intended purpose. Um, Okay, Acts chapter 15, verse 1. This is the holy and the perfect word of our holy and perfect God. So men came down from Judea, began teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. When Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brothers determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and they were bringing great joy to all the brothers. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. They reported all that God had done with them. Some of the sect of the Pharisees, who had believed, stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter, After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way as they are also. All the people kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were teach, as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you're so good. What a loving God you are that you do save sinners and you... Call us to yourself by your word and you build us up by your word and by your sacraments. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have mercy upon me, a very fallible instrument, and that the words of my lips, the meditation of my heart would be pleasing to you and edifying to your people, would be true and accurate according to the scripture. And for all of us, Lord, that you would have performed the requisite heart surgery, that you, Holy Spirit, would have taken out the heart of stone and given us a new heart of flesh by which we would see the danger apart from Christ, but see the safety which is found in you, Jesus. Help us uh, increase our faith. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The, the title of the sermon really should be hyphenated. It's the Jerusalem Council, and then it should be hyphen, the attack on the gospel. And I want to take this particular section of scripture and treat it under in two weeks. I, this has kind of been the method I've morphed into with the book of Acts. It's just been an interesting study series for me. We're looking at a, a text that has a great many truths in it. I don't want to sh- give short shrift to God's word. And so I want to look at the Jerusalem Council. Uh, and the, this sermon will be the attack of the, the gospel And then if God gives me and us together next week, next Lord's Day, another time for a sermon, I want to look at the same sermon passage. So if you're planning on attending, read this passage. But it won't be the attack of the gospel. 
I want to look at the, what, what happens after the gospel is attacked, the defense of the gospel. Two sermons, two heads. And when I use the Jerusalem Council, this is a manifestation of what I would call church court. If you're, um, if you're a Presbyterian, you're used to hearing church courts. Um, if you're broadly evangelical, you're not used to hearing church courts because church court is a form of church discipline. The Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 18 and 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that Christ gives forms of government or guidance. When I say discipline, government or guidance. So if, think, if people are, um, if they're wrong uh, according to doctrine or wrong according to practice, that Christ has left his church, which is his kingdom, certain strictures, guidance, government, to help bring those er erring people back doctrinally or practically. And so this is an expression of church discipline. I do know that we live in a modern day. Parents don't discipline anymore. My parents were not of the modern era. They thoroughly believed in church discipline. And, uh, but even in churches, because we, we garner our uh, folks from the larger culture, most folks are not even... So what, what is this crazy thing? Discipline. It's for the glory of God to reclaim the offender, to keep the offender by permeating the larger church with his or her erroneous doctrine or uh, sinful practices. And, and, and that's what these things are for. So, so it's good. But it's a church court. There's a convocation. There's some kind of ecclesiastical church synod gathering of elders, in this case, it's elders, which is a pre it, it, elder is presbyteros, and I, we believe as Presbyterians that the bishop, the overseer, the episkopos is the same fellow. And I know there's a debate between Presbyterians and Episcopalians, but let's put put that aside. So you have the 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 apostles, their extraordinary officers, and then the elders, their ordinary church officers, and so they gather together for this big church council. It's a church court. And they're going to hear one side say, this is what we think the gospel is. It's faith in Jesus plus our works. And then the other side, is they're going to say, we don't think the gospel is that. We think the gospel is Christ pays for all of our sins and you believe and you're justified alone. And so then there's a debate over it. And we believe that our side won, thank God. Okay, so that, that's kind of the setting. And I want us to just look at the business of, um, of defense of the gospel. Let me give us, since a lot of folks are here that haven't been here heretofore, my practice is to start a book, Acts 1-1, and plow through the book. Uh, other ministers have different kind of practices, but that's just my practice. And so if you've been with us up to now, or you know the book of Acts, the book of Acts, the, book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, the Acts of the Spirit of Christ through the servants of Christ, the book of Acts is recording the advance of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't mean in, a, in the eschatological way of like amillennialism uh, 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 um, uh, or postmillennialism or any of those things. We just see the gospel of Jesus Christ going from the Jews in Jerusalem and Judea and going to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's what the book of Acts is about. And so when we're looking here, we're looking at some of the missionary endeavors of the apostle, we've had apostle Peter, and now the apostle Paul, he's going out evangelizing as missionaries. 
And that means going to lost people. And when we say lost, I think people even say that now. Uh, a lost person who is a person who doesn't savingly know Jesus Christ. That's a lost person. They, we would call them unbelievers. Even if they say they're believers, if they don't know Jesus savingly, they're lost. Lost in their sin. And so Christ has ordained his religion, and I don't mean Catholic, Protestant, any of that. I mean the religion of Christ. He's ordained that to be evangelistic and missionary, missionary-minded. He has ordained it. So he structured it that way. And so since Jesus is God come in the flesh, and since we are worshiping God the Father through him, and we worship him directly as the second person of the Godhead, he calls the shots. Am I right with that? So the form of Christianity that we want is what Jesus wants. And I say that for this reason. Sometimes folks get very offended, even professing Christians. Some, some born-again Christian will come along, and I know that's redundant, and they'll say, do you know Jesus? Do you... Do you know Jesus? No, no, I don't know Jesus. I'm a Hindu or I'm a Muslim. Oh, let me tell you about Jesus. And before they tell you the good news, they tell you the bad news that you're a sinner, which is what usually hurts our feelings. And then they give you the good news of Jesus that he pays for sins. And oftentimes people say this, well, can't you just like keep this religion thing private? It should be very private. It's like so private, it's only in your closet when no one else in your house is around. No, no, we actually can't do that. And it's not because the Christian... Now, I know, can Christians be obnoxious? Yes. But the reason people are out there gospeling is because Jesus tells them to. He says, remember the, the Pharisees say, tell your disciples to stop saying, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is the name of the Lord. And Jesus says, what? If I tell them to stop, what's going to happen? The rocks are going to cry out. So, beloved... When you see folks out, like if, if you have a person in your... I was, not, I was not a Christian. I was a little heathen raised in a... When I was raised, but I was a heathen. I come to faith in Jesus, and who gets Jesus after that? My mom, my dad, my sisters, my wife, everybody. Well, I don't want, you to, he, I don't want to hear that. Well, Christ wants us to do that. So when we're looking at the book of Acts, even what we're seeing here, this comes from the mind of God. I do know that we can say right things obnoxiously. And for that, the Christians should repent. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus say right things obnoxiously? No. He never did. And what did they do to Jesus? They called him a tool of the devil and they killed him. I say that for this reason. You could share the love of Jesus with tears in your eyes and with a bag of sugar. And people are still going to say you're a tool of the devil. But you're not. You're a servant of Jesus. But make sure we do it gently, lovingly, as winsomely as we can, knowing that as they treated the master, they're going to treat us. So we have the advance of the kingdom of God. And what we're looking at in chapter 13 and chapter 14 is the first missionary uh, endeavor of the Apostle Paul. You have the Apostle Paul, you have uh, Silas, you have Apostle Paul, Barnabas, uh, there are some other unnamed folks in the beginning of this evangelistic journey. You had John Mark. What happened to John Mark? He got freaked out and went back home. And then Paul pitched a fit about it and said essentially what? This guy's not fit for the ministry. And then later what happened? Go call John Mark. I need my coat. He's useful for the ministry. This is just no extra charge for this. God is so much more merciful to us than human beings are. Jesus is so much more merciful to us than even ministers are. 
You remember James and John when the Samaritans said, should we kill these guys that don't believe in you, Jesus? And what did Jesus say to them? You guys don't know who you are. So the ministers don't save. No church saves. Christ saves. And you're going to get way more mercy from Jesus than usually you'll get from any minister, right? So Jesus Christ um, actually restores John Mark, but these are the fellows with other unnamed people that are going out doing this evangelism gospeling, telling lost people about Jesus. There are three people named, I think, and a whole slew of unnamed people. It teaches us a general lesson about Christianity. You know, when you praise someone, people go like this, no, 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 don't praise me, don't praise me, don't, don't, don't praise me, don't praise me, don't praise me, right? Da, 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 da. No, 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 no. We want that. Our flesh wants that. And we go, well, I want to be the guy like Paul that gets my name recorded in the book. But mostly, God doesn't have his servants published on like a billboard. Mostly, the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're anonymous. We're anonymous. There are going to be gobs of people in heaven through the testimony of their grandmother and their mom. And we don't know who these people are. But here's the encouragement. Because we think like this. Well, I'm just, I'm just a little lump of coal, but I'm going to be a diamond someday. No one even knows who I am. But here, here's the deal. Christ knows who you are. Right? It doesn't matter if someone says, oh, Sister Sally or Brother Bob is doing such and such. Who cares about that? We do our service for the Lord Jesus Christ. Most mothers, I, don't, I mean, what is this, Proverbs? Was it, is it 31? Everybody wants to do the Proverbs 31? They rise up and call them blessed. I rise up and call my wife blessed, and I want my children to rise up and call them, but they won't, but I want them to. Most mothers, it's such a thankless job. Am I right? You're up to your elbows and stuff, and like you don't ever get praised for it, but don't worry about that, even in your Christian service. The Bible says Jesus Christ remembers all of our work, and it won't go for nothing. On the last day, on Judgment Day, Matthew 25, He's going to say to the sheep on his right, come ye who are blessed. You gave me a cup of cold water. You've, you, you evangelized. You told your son about Jesus, your daughter about you, your grandkids about you. When did I do that? I was watching you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen to that? So we see the evangelistic efforts. Now, what we're seeing here in chapter 15 is a switch in subjects. Up to now... The guys have been out preaching Christ to lost folks, Gentile lost folks primarily, some Jewish folks, but mainly Gentile lost folks. And they've encountered, there's two receptions to Jesus. There's only two, there's only two roads to be on in this life, and there's only two receptions to Jesus. It's either, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, have mercy on me, yes, or no. A neutral manana later is a no. So if you say yes, you're on the narrow road. If you say no, you're on the broad road. The narrow road goes up to the good place. The broad road goes down to the bad place. Two choices. Two responses. The guys go out preaching, and there are gobs of people that say, you know what? We don't believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And in fact, we're going to kill you for trying to say that. And they have opposition. In a lot of the places... Up to this point, Paul makes a point to go to the synagogues first, because he's a Jew. And the principle of the Bible is to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. 
And the unbelieving Jews stir up the unbelieving Gentiles to not believe. And they abuse the stuffing out of these evangelists. We learn another principle. <clears throat> when you become a, a I know the, I'm using the phrase born again. I wish I didn't have to use it. I know it's redundant. A real go-to-heaven Christian versus a non-go-to-heaven fake Christian. When you become a Christian, you think, Jesus loves me. Now everyone's going to love me and they're going to love this wonderful Jesus, I tell them. It's the exact opposite. Jesus loves you and everybody else wants to beat you with a stick. And they don't want to invite you to Thanksgiving. That's what these guys got. And there's a general principle here. Unbelievers, people that don't believe in Jesus, don't want other unbelievers to become believers. They don't, they don't want it. And they try to stop other people from hearing the gospel message and believing. Um, I've seen this, I've seen it even in the pulpit. Uh, I've been here, of course, I look at everybody, don't be nervous. And I know a, a wife will be married to a guy that's an unbeliever. And she'll tell me, pray for my husband, he's an unbeliever. And I'll be preaching the gospel. And she's trying to distract her husband. Buttercup, don't get, don't, no, it's going to make you feel bad, Buttercup. No, 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 no. The believer wants other people to believe. Do you not? Do you not? When we were, my children were little. They're now, my children are 30, 35 and 33. But when they were little, we would have family Bible time, worship time. And my daughter would have this prayer, make every, Jesus, make everybody believers. And we used to chuckle about that. But that's the heart of a believer. But it's the opposite with the unbeliever. If you know any card-carrying, I do not believe Jesus Christ people, do they want other people to love Jesus and serve Jesus? No, they don't. They work for their fallen Lord. We work for our true Lord. That's what is going on. So you have opposition. But it's not all opposition. God the Holy Spirit has given gospel success to the laborers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And gobs of people have come to faith in Jesus through the preaching of the cross. That come, believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm a sinner, save me. And they believe that and they're saved. Now some people think like this. Do you think through that simple message, God would actually cleanse people from their sins, take them from death and darkness, and bring them into Christ's light and life through the simple preaching of that simple message? Do you think that? I do. I do. There's a person I'm associated with that has done some sins. And so folks talk about, well, is it it possible for this person to be forgiven? Is it possible for this person to be changed? And my rejoinder, almost with tears, I have to choke back. He saved me. He changed me. He's changing me. Jesus didn't come for the righteous. What kind of folk did he come for? Sinners. He's in the saving sinners business. And then in the sanctifying saved sinners business. Through the foolishness of the preaching. And then the guys have this great success the, the, the chapter 14 ends with, they come back to the church at Antioch, Syria, and they have this sweet time of fellowship. They're building one another up in the Lord. Beloved, I believe, because the Bible teaches in Hebrews chapter 10 and elsewhere, and I think the second commandment by um, application, that we're supposed to worship. We're supposed to come to church every Sunday and worship, if you can, if you can. 
because it's where we get built up. When people say, I'm going to take a break from church, I'm not going to worship corporately, I already know what's going to happen. You're going to get your spiritual head kicked in. There's no encouragement. You're not being told you're a child of the King. You're three times holy in Christ. You're going to heaven. God loves you. What are you being told? All the nonsense the world tells us. So they have this sweet time of their fellowship. And then we come to this scene. And this scene is a church court. So you go from preaching the gospel, and now you're trying to defend the gospel in a church court against people that attack the gospel. That's this. I know that's kind of a, a long explanation of what's going on, but that's what's going on. So we went from preaching the gospel to now they're defending the gospel in, as I say, a church court. The Bible teaches us a number of general lessons here. You go from gospel success, sweet times of fellowship, and now you're fighting with people that are heretics against the gospel in a church court. Pleasant, 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 really unpleasant. Is life in this life, is it a changing life or an unchanging life? It is a changing life. It is a changing life. This passage teaches believers in Christ, believers in the Bible, to live serving Jesus, expecting things to change. The reason people have midlife crises, I'm not I'm making fun of it. I used to make fun of it before I was 50, before I was 50, I'm 58. I used to make fun of a ton of stuff before it actually happened to me. And what is that? This is, this is this. Gospel success, gospel success, gospel corruption. One thing, one thing, one thing, change. Beloved, the Bible says here in this life, Hebrews, here we have no lasting what? City. This, I don't, this is no extra charge for this. It's my little political, and then I'm going to get off. I'm not a political preacher. Um, I pray for this country. I, I love the country. I was born in this country. If they said, put your green suit on and go fight for the country, if it was a just war, I would. They wouldn't take me because I'm a mess, but I would. But America is not this. America is not the shining. I know George W., one of them said it's the shining hill. No, 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 no. No, Matthew 5, America is not the shining hill. The church is the shining hill. True Christians are the shining hill. So it's not, it's, it's not here. Let's make America Christian again. And I'm, not, I'm for telling everybody in America about, about Jesus. But you, you could get an Orthodox Presbyterian guy to be the president. There'd be a train wreck as the president. But you could get them to be the president. Is, is that, is that going to make heaven on earth? No, because it's not supposed to be heaven on earth until Jesus comes back. So we as Christians have to live expecting things to change. And the other thing that we learn here is gospel success to gospel corruption, people receiving the gospel, people attacking the gospel. And here's another thing that we as modern Christians need to learn. And I know sometimes I'm dating myself. My parents told me, because of the way they were raised, life is real hard. You've got to be real hard to live in a real hard life. And my dad, because he was a city guy and rough, his phrase was, suck it up. It's not a godly saying, I know. Suck it up and make it happen. He was a devotee of Vince Lombardi. I'm not, I'm, again, this is... But we need to teach our people that life is hard. It's hard to live as a Christian. Because when we tell them that it's not hard, and they get married, or they have kids, or they just live... They get broadsided and they think, 
but I thought my job was supposed to be where I'm totally encouraged and I, I feel fulfilled in my job. No, you're supposed to hate your job because it's cursed. <laughs> and you know I'm being hyperbolic. Gospel success, gospel corruption, fighting over the gospel. Good times being replaced by what kind of times? Hard times. We need to toughen up as American Christians. We really need to toughen up. And so the Bible is teaching us to expect, enjoy the good time. Who, who, who just died last week? Charles Stanley? The week before? He said life is like this. I don't often quote Charles Stanley, but I'm going to quote him. He said life is about just coming out of a storm, getting ready to go into a storm, going through a storm. That's this. Great times, great times, great times, followed by hard times. And another thing this text teaches us, which is some kind of contrary to what we think about, is that we as Christians who love Christ should expect division in the church, because that's what's going on here. I was raised in a different church, then I became a Protestant. And my dad used to say, yeah, there's 350 churches in Pensacola. If you were back in the true church, you wouldn't have this. Oh, please. There's no such thing as a church without division. There's no such thing as a church without division. And people say, well, I'm not going to go to church because someone said something mean to me once when I was six, or there's division in the church. No, you don't go to church because you don't want to go to church. And you can't go to a church without division unless you die and go to heaven. On the earth, this text is teaching us, as long as it's this present evil age, there will be fights over doctrine. That's what's going on. Fights, fights. Debate fights over doctrine. Why is that? Because the devil is real, beloved. Christ is real. The truth of the cross is real. And it's the truth of the cross that the devil attacks. And for the person who says, well, I I don't want to fight for the truth. Should you fight for the truth? Oh, yeah. People will fight over politics. They'll fight over uh, their sports teams. And we think, well, we're not supposed to stand firm for the truth of the gospel. Oh, yes, we are. That's what this passage is teaching us. To expect until we're in heaven that there will be fights over, and, and this in particular, the particular fight is not a secondary or tertiary thing. It's over a gospel uh, issue. So this passage, look in verses 1 through 5. So you have a group of Jewish folks who profess to be believers in Jesus. They leave Jerusalem, the church at Jerusalem. They go to the church in Antioch, Syria. So uh, what is that? North, northeast, they go up there and they teach the Gentiles, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, look at your Bibles, verse uh, 1, what does that say? Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be what? Saved. Saved. Again, I don't want to show my cards, but I'll have to show my cards. If you're not a Bible Christian... That, that idea of saved. I know we're not Baptists. I love Baptists. I try to love everybody. They use a the phrase, get saved. I, I don't use that phrase, get saved. But the idea of being saved is biblical. Now, I was raised in a church where we didn't use that kind of a language. And there are people that profess to be Christians. You say saved. And they go like, what? So you mean like Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Republican, Democrat? No. No, 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 no. Saved. The Greek is sozo, saved, delivered, redeemed. From what? What do we mean? From the wages of sin, which is eternal death. 
from the condemnation of a holy God against unholy people to be saved to love God with a childlike love. That's Bible. That's Bible, Christian. So there are gobs of Christians that say, I am a Christian. I go to a form of a church. They, what do you mean save? What do you mean gospel? What is it? And that's what's being attacked. And so we want to be Bible Christians. The Bible says in uh, Acts 17, Paul comes preaching, and what did the guys do? They broke out their Bible and said what? Okay. Or, so when we come here, this fight is over how we are saved. And so these group of guys has come, have come from the Jerusalem church to the Antiochian church, and they say, well, believing in Jesus is great, but you have to be circumcised, and you have to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. So believe in Jesus, one, uh, and then practice the law of Moses, both ceremonial and moral observance, which is summarized in the Ten Commandments. Keep the law of God, and then you will be saved. Beloved, what do you think about that? That's the gospel at, at the issue. That is the gospel at the issue. And the Jerusalem Council says, it's no, no, it's only faith in Jesus. We'll look at that next week, Lord willing. But these are corruptors of the gospel of, I'm going to use the word grace. Grace means gift. And it's not graced works. Grace means gift. If, you, if a basketball cost you 20 bucks and you gave it to your son for five bucks, is that a gift? No, it's a discount. Gift is gift. Read Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. God, the Holy Spirit, takes dead people, necros, dead in our sins and trespasses. God makes us alive. God gives us faith. And God applies the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to us. 100%. 100%. St. Patrick. Read the conversion of St. Patrick. He said he's a stone in the muck and the mire. And God reached down and he saved him. That's this. And these guys come along and say, oh, that's not it. No, no, no. You've got to do way more to be saved from sin. You've got to do way more to go to heaven. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to keep the law of Moses. What do you think of that? What do you think of that? Is it all Christ? Does Christ pay for all of your sins? Or do you pay for some? What do you think? There are two different, there are two different gospels. One is a true gospel, and the others are false gospels. These men, and I, I don't want to go too long. These men are Jews. They're the Pharisee party. They're members of the church. They come as teachers. These guys, for all the world, you would look and go, they probably know. This is what makes this, this error of corrupting the gospel so dangerous. And again, when I say this is an attack on the gospel, this is a thing that is frustrating for Protestants. I can't wait when we go to heaven and we won't have this anymore. Should you have kneelers? Should I wear a tie? Or should I have a Genevan gown? Should we blah, da, blah, 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 blah? Those are secondary and tertiary things that I myself now as an older guy, I don't fight over. In my 20s and 30s, I'd fight over everything because I was stupid. But as an older guy, I, I don't fight about that. You say tomato, I say tomato. You're a big ender, I'm a little ender. On secondary things, I don't fight. Gospel? How to go to heaven? How a man, a sinner is made right with God? Is that a small thing? Can you just give in on that? Can't we all get along? Does it really matter if Jesus pays 90% and you pay 10%? Does that matter? What do you think? 
The Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 11, you add one of your works, and I don't even call, care if you call it graced works, to the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you do to grace? Destroy it. You destroy it. This is the gospel of the cross, and they're attacking it. This is what the devil's going after. When my kid went off to college, I taught both my kids, here, here is what the devil is going to come gunning for in your faith. The person of Christ and the work of Christ. I don't care, sprinkle, dunk, none of it. The person of Christ, the work of Christ, the gospel. Is it the blood of the lamb or is it the blood of the lamb plus you? And these guys say, we're Jews. We know better than you Gentiles. And I'm going to say something. There are Christians right now who say like this. Well, the guy's a Jew. He's a physical Jew. He's an ethnic Jew. He's a religious Jew. Therefore, it doesn't matter that he doesn't know Jesus and he hates Jesus. He's a Jew. He must know the Bible. I'm not going to tell you the name of the guy that everybody loves and buys all his stuff. And I've watched this guy on the video say, don't believe in Jesus. Don't think Jesus is the Christ. And then people are buying his Ten Commandments study. Christians. Because they think Jewish ethnicity conveys religious truth. Guess what? Jesus came to his own and his own knew him what? Not. It doesn't matter. Black, white, red, yellow, rich, poor. Physical flesh conveys nothing except sin. It's the Holy Spirit that conveys religious insight. These guys are Jews. These guys are Pharisees. What do we know about Pharisees? And listen to this. As far as people that pervert the gospel... They constantly add man-made traditions to the Word of God, invalidating the Word of God. Mark chapter 7, 1 through 13. What do I mean by that? Oh yeah, I know the Bible doesn't say that, but we have this extra thing here, and you've got to do the extra thing, and you've got to do all these things. And Jesus says, by those man-made non-biblical traditions, you invalidate the Word of God. You corrupt the gospel. You stop people from being saved. They're not going to go to heaven. This is not a small thing. You remember the Apostle Paul before, when he was Saul of Tarsus? What did he say? I'm a Jew, that's why I'm going to heaven. I'm righteous according to the law. I keep the law. I'm, I've been here 22 years almost. Many years ago, a young guy caught in grievous sin that I was trying to help. He got hooked up with a, with a heretical movement who believed that the gospel was... Belief in Jesus plus your covenant faithfulness, your law obedience, which is the Galatian heresy, which is, which is no gospel. And he said to me with a, with a... He said, Pastor, I can keep the law. We were at a pancake house. We're, we're, we were at Cracker Barrel. I'm like, man, I'm meeting you every Friday because you can't keep the law and your wife is wanting to divorce you. How can you look at me with a straight face and say you can keep the law? You can't even get off the stupid computer. You're a lawbreaker. That's why we need a real gospel. Phariseeism is wanting to stick our finger on the scales of justice. And I know how to reconcile Paul from James. We can talk about that another day. Beloved, we are justified. We are made right, biblically. Faith in Christ alone, through the grace of God alone, in Christ alone, not of any works. And the, and the justification, the reconciliation between Paul and James is, is that if you have true and saving faith, you're going to produce good works. Protestants believe in the doctrine of good works. We have a whole chapter on it, chapter 16 of our confession. 
but they're not meritorious unto. They're, re they're reflexive of, of a true and saving faith because we believe Christ pays for all of our sins. Imagine if you stuck your good work to Christ's good work. What would you do? It's Christ alone, beloved. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.